from AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Here's your host, Chip Lutz. Hello, friends, and welcome to LaughBox. This is Chip Lutz, your host, and today is a pretty cool day. We get to talk to a good friend of mine, Dr. Ed Dunkelblau. He is the uh, president or um, head man in charge of the Institute for Emotionally Intelligent Learning, past president of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor, and quite possibly just one of the most insightful people I know. Ed's been with AATH for a lot of years, uh, knows a lot of things, and I like to consider him in my close circle of humor friends. So welcome, Ed, to LaughBox. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me to speak. Well, the pleasure is absolutely mine. So I know you pretty well. Can you tell our listeners a little about uh, what you do and what you're about? Well, I can tell what I do, what I'm about. Uh, I'm not so sure I could be clear about. Um, I'm a psychologist by training. Uh, I've been in clinical practice for, well, I'm no longer in clinical practice, but I had a clinical practice for about 25 years. For the past 20 years or so, I've been uh, traveling in the, around the world speaking and consulting. Uh, mostly what I focus on is humor, health, and emotional intelligence. I work with school systems, I work with business and industry, and I work with the military, uh, focusing in on helping uh, service members reintegrate with their families after serving overseas. So I keep pretty busy. Um, and it's been a very exciting career, both clinically and educationally. And now it's even more exciting given what we're focused on with regard to bringing humor and laughter into non-traditional settings. Oh, very cool. Now, I'm always interested, you know, because when we met a few years ago and we shared some different things, you know, looking at the, you know, the clinical applications of humor, like back when you had your practice, did you use humor a lot in your practice? I did. I did. In fact, even in graduate school, I was fascinated by, um, by bringing humor into professional practice. And it, it, it you know, it comes from growing up. I, I grew up in a, in a funny family. Uh, I mean, we all grew up in funny families, but my family was actually funny. And um, <laughs> I, I, used, I used humor as a coping strategy. I was, I was kind of an insecure, uh, overweight kid and uh, been bullied occasionally and, and just had difficulty. And I found that being, being funny or sarcastic uh, helped arm me when I wasn't fast enough or strong enough to really defend myself. Uh, I also, when I was in high school, I was a pretty shy kid. I went to an all-male high school, and that set me back a couple of years. And um, <laughs> what, I, what I wanted to do was I wanted to find a way to be comfortable talking to girls. And so what I started to do was I started to memorize jokes. Because, you know, who doesn't like to laugh, right? I mean, so I, I felt like if I could be funny, then girls would like me, and I could get an occasional date. Uh, well... It, it eventually worked uh, when I was 50, um, <laughs> but it, 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 uh, it was a way that I, I began to realize the value and importance of humor and laughter in, in experience and coping. Uh, and and I, I even went to my doctoral advisor. I said, I want to do my dissertation on humor. And he thought that was funny. Uh, because that wasn't going to happen. Uh, there was very little scholarship about humor. There was very little research. 
and he didn't feel like that was an appropriate professional topic. Uh, so I didn't do that, but I was always interested. Finally, when I was in practice, I was still thinking about how to, how to bring humor into the work and, and how to write. And, and, and uh, someone named Wally Salome had heard me speak. I had presented on the uses of jokes in understanding the concerns about psychologists. And he had heard me speak about that and invited me to do a chapter in his book, The Handbook of Humor and Psychotherapy. And so I did that, and that kind of opened the door a little bit to uh, looking at applications of humor and professional practice a little more, uh, in, in a little more organized fashion. I then came across a brochure about this organization that at the time was called the um, American Association for Therapeutic Humor. And I'm thinking, this, these are my people. This is what I was hoping to find. And uh, pursued that and ended up going to their first program. Uh, out in, in um, St. Louis, met an incredible number of people, including one of the people you've interviewed, uh, Karen Buxman, and just found my home. And, and that was quite a long time ago. That was at the very early uh, inception of the organization. So what's happened since then is I've been very active with the organization, as, as you mentioned, uh, being past president, and uh, they were very kind to me. Uh, bestowing a Lifetime Achievement Award uh, for my work in Applied Therapeutic Humor. So that's that's been wonderful, and just finding its value. Uh, and I've, I've done many presentations since then on bringing humor and laughter into clinical practice of psychotherapy, psychology, hospital practice, and into schools and organizations. Interesting. Um, I like the, so what were some of the, your, your big jokes that uh, you were memorizing when you were young? Do you remember any of them? Uh, I, I don't remember them per se, uh, but it, I, I bought a couple of uh, Playboy uh, party joke books. So most of them were a little on the risque side, which again, uh, if I had it to do over, if, I, if what I was hoping to do is attract women, that might not have been the best way to go in the, in the mid-60s. Uh, so, um, but no, I, I just, uh, I, I remember thinking, okay, at a party, I can tell jokes and which I did by the way. And it was really a, a very helpful, uh, social lubricant, pardon the expression. Did you find that with having a sense of humor or an attitude of humor with your patients when you're in practice, it helps to put them more at ease or how, how did you employ it in the practice? Yeah, I, uh, certainly psychotherapy practice is a, is a serious business, but I found that the occasional injection of something playful or funny helped engage the client, helped them uh, deal with whatever stresses they were dealing with in the moment if that was appropriate. And I even had clients say to me, I, I'm, I, I've interviewed other psychologists, I want to talk with you because you seem to actually enjoy what you're doing. And so that was really helpful. And And the other thing that I found helpful was using fun or playful analogies in trying to make a serious, um, a serious point so that people uh, could understand what we were talking about, gain a little bit of insight without feeling like it was too academic or too uh, incomprehensible. Interesting. Um, because I know that when I'm not obviously a clinical psychologist, um, but I have stayed at Holiday Inn Express. But 
was anybody that I'm dealing with, if I'm looking to help diffuse a situation, hey, humor usually helps with that. You know, whether it's an off the cuff remark or, you know, a, a joke, it's just something that helps, you know, put both of us at ease. Now, with yeah, well, the, I've seen you present a lot of times and you use humor to engage even the most difficult audience and you do it better than anyone, anyone I've ever seen. So that's another example. If, if the key in your work, whether it's psychotherapy, speaking, teaching, or even in corporate settings, if you have to engage the people with whom you work, one great way to do it is through humor. Well, that was a really great compliment. You know, this is actually probably just a great time to end the conversation because I don't think it could get any better than that. But we'll keep going. With the, well, we're here to talk about how good you are, aren't we? Right. We're here to talk said? about actually, uh, actually talk about you, but I really like to talk about me too. But I like oh, well. <laughs> just kidding. How does uh, in your in your current work with emotional uh, emotional intelligence? How does humor play into that? Well, if you think about what the purpose or what, what understanding emotional intelligence can do. Emotional intelligence is kind of another way of being smart. And, and it, it, we talk about different elements of emotional intelligence, of handling your own emotions and, and impulses, of recognizing the emotions and feelings of others, the emotions and feelings, recognizing perspective in others, being empathic, developing good relationships, handling conflict, um, making good choices and decisions. If you think about all of those things, they're all facilitated by an ability to see humor, to appreciate irony, to recognize the value of other people's senses of humor and their, their odd or interesting perspectives. So it really just facilitates and contributes to everything we're trying to do in developing better relationships and a stronger community. I'm still here. I'm just processing what you're saying because that was really, really smart. Um, try to make it so um, like I can understand that. So if I want to be emotionally more emotionally intelligent using humor, what do I do? If you well, it, it's that's a great point. If you want to be more intelli emotionally intelligent using humor, I think first you have to understand what you find funny and why. The next step is to understand what others might find funny. Uh -huh. Third is to find a way to express yourself in a way that gets that message across. Uh, some people are great joke tellers. Some people are great storytellers. Some people make uh, fun observations. Some people do funny drawings. Other people dance in silly ways. So there are many, many ways to express humor and playfulness. And the goal is to engage and bring people closer. And so experimenting and finding what you like, what you're good at, what you can develop, and what others appreciate about you is really the way to incorporate that. I like that because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big funny dancer. I do that all the time, much to my, my, <laughs> much to my wife Gwen's dismay when uh, I, I, I won't tell you the dance that I do. But anyway, it's, it's, it's pretty funny. And humor is really subjective because I really laugh a lot, but she doesn't really see the humor in it as much. So I guess that would make me all that emotionally intelligent. <laughs> it might just not make you all that funny. I mean, that, that, you might be incredibly emotionally intelligent. Uh, so, uh, you know, depending on what her, her perspective is and her ability to recognize humor, who knows? <laughs> who knows? I, well, just this whole, this whole last year, it seems like everybody needs a little bit more of that. 
um, emotional intelligence, finding the, the humor and the irony in different situations instead of getting so angry about things. I mean, this whole last year with the election and everything else just seems like there's just a whole bunch of angry people out there. And I think that a little bit of humor can go a long way in trying to diffuse some of that. Would you? Would yeah, I think it can too. And, and I think that the, uh, and, and you're seeing it in the media, you're seeing it, uh, how many how many political humor shows are there right now? Uh, you know, uh, uh, all the nighttime talk shows have a political element to them. Uh, they're all trying to recognize uh, absurdity or recognize uh, and diffuse anxiety. So that I think I think there is a real value in that. The other thing that I know though is that when people are really angry or really scared. They don't have access to their sense of humor, at least in that moment. And that's what I think you're, you're noticing and responding to, that right now people are very, very anxious. Why, um, psychologically, why is that? Why can't you – does it just block it out? I, I think that the way humor works is we have to have access. And when we're feeling too scared or things are too tragic or too upsetting – we don't have access to that part of our experience. And there has to be some time or some way of shifting our perspective before we can begin to laugh at things. I remember uh, after 9-11, I got a phone call from a, um, a radio host and, and his question kind of caught me off guard a little bit. And he said, when will it be okay to laugh again? And it, it just, it, it shook me a little bit because I realized that things were so tragic and so upsetting that laughter just seemed completely inappropriate, at least to that moment. And we needed to get a little psychological and temporal distance from it. Right. I mean, with the first episode of Saturday Night Live that came on, it was a, um, after 9-11, it was a, a real welcome reprieve to everything that we had been going through, you know, previously. And that's right. uh, I know it's that great line from uh, Giuliani. Um, do you remember where um, uh, Lauren Michaels asked him, uh, is it okay for us to be funny again? And Giuliani said, why start now? <laughs> oh. I don't remember that, but that's awesome. <laughs> that's, that's what I ask people all the time. Can I be funny now? And they're like, well, why start now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. And I, I, you know, and I like how you brought up that in, in some of my previous conversations, other people on that, that there's kind of a time for everything, you know, whether we're going, we're grieving or what, there are certainly, you know, times for everything. We need to feel what we need to feel, but humor can, you know, play into helping us cope and deal with different situations. Now you went through a situation here not too long ago uh, with your own battle with uh, cancer. You know, how was yeah. I don't want to say how that was that for you because I know it sucked, but it was fantastic. <laughs> it was it was, fantastic. Um, uh, <laughs> no, no, I mean there is there is no upside. There is no upside to to the diagnosis. There is no upside to the disease, and there's certainly no upside to the treatment, other than the hope is at the end of it you will be better. Right. Uh, so no, uh, it's a, it's it's horrible. Pretty much. It's a, it's a, it's a horrible uh, experience from start to finish. And um, it, it was one of those things. Uh, years ago, 
I was uh, I was really involved in the humor presentations, humor work, especially in corporate settings. And I was hired by a hospital to work with their staff. And though I had been speaking for a number of years on the value of humor, I had never actually worked within a corporation to actually make it work. I'd always been a consultant. So here I was hired to try to improve morale, improve ratings by the patient, so on and so forth. And I had determined to do that partly through the use of humor. Well, it was a little scary because though I'd been preaching this for quite a while, I'd never actually tested it. Mm -hmm. And in fact, over two years, we, we were incredibly successful and it went extremely well and turnover almost went to zero and, and patient ratings almost doubled. And, and it was just very, very good outcomes. And so there I felt like, okay, so I was tested once and it worked. So I can kind of have a little bit of credibility now, more than just the research or more than just my own opinion. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, I find myself, uh, I got a phone call one day from my uh, ENT, and he said, we biopsied that thing we took out of your throat, and it's cancer. And there is no describing the, the experience of hearing that either over the phone or in person. It's just a remarkable shock to the system. And almost within a day or two, once the initial shock passed, I thought to myself, well, here comes another challenge and another opportunity to try and practice what I preach and to see if, in fact, it works. Mm -hmm. And so I made a conscious decision to, to take all that I knew about the uses of humor and laughter, all that I knew about how people respond to difficult situations, traumatic situations, upsetting situations, and disease, and to try to apply it to my own experience. So what I began to do is I began to blog, and I went on caringbridge.org, and if you're not familiar with that um, website, it's phenomenal. It's it's a site that allows people who are dealing with difficult situations, either grief or illness, to post their experience without having to respond to everybody individually. So all, of the, all their friends and loved ones can go onto the site and read what's going on with them without everybody having to get their own email, phone call, or letter. So what I did was I opened up a Caring Bridge site, and on an almost daily basis, I started writing about what my experience was with getting treated, with uh, having the illness, and then with recovering from the illness. So I, I just built dozens upon dozens upon dozens of essays about mm -hmm. my experience, trying to, trying to spin it in a funny or playful way as I was actually going through the experience. What were some of the um, the funny portions of it? I mean, how, where did you find the humor? Oh, gosh. And uh, on a daily basis, it was remarkable. I found that all I had to do was write about what was in front of me. All I had to do was write about what was happening that day. And it would come out funny. Uh, one of the first ones that I wrote, I remember I was, uh, I had to have surgery on some of my lymph nodes. And uh, I was in prep the morning of the surgery, and, and gosh, it seemed like everybody that worked in the hospital came to visit and introduce themselves 
weirdly, they would introduce themselves, but they were wearing masks. So <laughs> I would know their name, but I couldn't possibly identify them. So it, it occurred to me that, you know, they probably robbed banks on weekends. But um, then the doctor came in and I decided to tease him. And I said, did you get a good night's sleep? And he said, yeah. I said, uh, were you out drinking last night? He said, nope. I said, how, uh, how are you feeling? And he held up his right hand and he said, steady as a rock. Mm -hmm. And it was just steady. And I said, well, that's good to see. He says, but you probably need to know that I cut with my left hand. And he held up his left hand and was shaking like crazy. <laughs> that's great. And, uh, it was it was a paraphrase from um, uh, Blazing Saddle, right? Uh, and it just cracked me up, and it endeared endeared him to me immediately. That that he was able to kind of tune in to my desire to be playful, right. and able to do it while still taking my concerns seriously. And that was a great example of something that was right in front of me. That uh, we, we dubbed that the Mel Brooks factor for any doctors exactly. listening, you know, <laughs> the, 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 this is, this is the hand I cut with. Cause I knew exactly where you're going with that before you even said, it. I was like, Oh man, he's going to say, but this is the hand I cut with. That's awesome. Yep. <laughs> well, that's great. Um, throughout the, you said you, you know, it was your new challenge to figure out the humor and blogging was one way. Did you do any other things, you know, daily to like, you know, humor related or, you know, otherwise to, you know, keep your spirits up and keep moving? Yeah. Yeah. I'd watch funny movies. Um, one of the hardest things about going through treatment is that it's very hard to do anything else. And, uh, the treatment for me was seven weeks of radiations, five days a week. Wow. So it was very hard to do anything else. So I would come home and my goal for that day was to get through the day. Mm -hmm. And when I was going through chemo, in addition to the radiation for four of those weeks, it was also very uncomfortable to be at anywhere. You know, it was just, I just didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. So watching movies was a great distraction. Movies and video games are great uh, time passers. And, uh, People knowing who I am brought me funny movies or recommended funny movies or, you know, gave me funny books that were, that I would read in, in small spurts. Um, so it was an attempt to not get caught up in the misery, an attempt to not get caught up in the discomfort, primarily through distraction of things that were amusing. I didn't want to watch movies about cancer. I didn't want to watch movies about <laughs> about tragedy and and I'm you know sorry. you never no. realize how many movies are about cancer but just, until you're sitting in front of the tv exactly coming through it's like when you're uh, hungry when you're hungry there's just like all these commercials for food on and so um i just <laughs> you want to make yourself really depressed when you're going through chemo you know <laughs> watch movies about cancer i mean that's not well really funny, uh, although but, uh, your comment is interesting because during the chemo and to some degree during the radiation, I also couldn't eat very well. Uh -huh. I couldn't swallow. And what I would do is I'd go home and I would watch the food channel and watch all of these movies about different kinds of food and food preparations, even though I could barely swallow and barely eat. It was like watching porn. <laughs> you know how when you watch porn, you're looking at stuff that you can never have 
but somehow there's a vicarious enjoyment of it. Right. That for me was Iron Chef and and Good Eats and and uh, uh, Chopped and every show on the Food Channel. <laughs> I watched this with with just a vicarious enjoyment. Oh, I'm going to leave part of that alone because there's some other things that are really funny to me on the whole food porn thing, but um, we'll, uh, we'll stay away from that. Now, I know that uh, a little off topic, but uh, you're, a sex, you're a sex therapist, aren't you? <laughs> I, I'm also a psychologist, and I keep track of, of how people make associations, and <laughs> we went from food to food porn to your not wanting to share anything, and now you want to know about sex therapy. Go right ahead. Yes, I have been known to do sex therapy, and I founded a sex therapy clinic. What would you like to know? Well, doctor, what I'd like to know is, because um, uh, I want to shift here a little bit, and we'll come back to you know other things people can do if they're going through trials and tribulations, but I think the important thing for people to think about, especially from a professional like you, is that you know how humor and play can improve the whole, you know, the whole experience in the um, bedroom, so to speak. You know, you just want to touch on that real quick. You don't have to go real deep, but um, bump, but you know, just hit it on the surface. You want me to touch on it, but not go really deep? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay, no problem. Um, <laughs> is, is is this uh, is this broadcast going to be on? Pornhub? I mean, what, where are we going with it? Uh, what, what is it you would like to know? No, I just, uh, that, um, I don't really want to know what I want to know. I just <laughs> wanted to bring it up because you brought up porn. It was just an association thing for me. So uh, we can leave yeah, it alone. Uh, humor and laughter can help in the bedroom. It can, uh, if you think about the, the value of laughter as engagement, it really helps people feel connected. It also can reduce anxiety for people who are feeling anxious or, or uh, worried. Um, what I'm also aware of is that laughter is a whole brain experience. And when you start laughing, it's very hard to keep focused on, on intense, intimate experience. So you don't... Uh, I, I did a, a program for the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor on um, humor and sex, and uh, I think it was called Fifty Shades of Play. And one of the stories is that um, in the bedroom, uh, I was experiencing uh, a, 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 how do I put this? There's no way to put it delicately. Let, 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 me, let me change topic. I knew someone who found that laughter got in the way of their sexual experience because once they started laughing, it was very hard to focus on anything else. Right. And for that moment, it ju everything just kind of relaxed, but got, it, it was kind of laugh us, interrupt us at that point. Laugh us, interrupt us. That is a great title. It's a clinical term. Um, <laughs> And, Ed, and, uh, and Dr. Ed TM, I'm going to, you should trademark that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and, and, uh, for, for the program I did, I, I tried to, I literally tried to do research on funny porn films to see what was out there. Mm -hmm. And there aren't many out there. I think just for this reason, 
Uh, I think it would be hard for porn stars to be laughing and perform at the same time. Um, but uh, but there are very funny porn titles uh, if if you ever go on on the web and, and some of them are hilarious. The the one that comes to mind was uh, instead of us saving Private Ryan, it was shaving Ryan's private. Um, so <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so um, yes. Humor, laughter, and play builds relationships. It can build sexual connection and connectedness. And certainly talking about sex is, is often amusing and, and playful because it raises just a touch of anxiety, and that always helps people find things funnier. Right. And I'm going to tie this back to the beginning on how you, know, you used to learn jokes to, you know, impress the, the uh, opposite sex and that, you know, it, it worked eventually for you when you hit 50. So I tell you, I brought that all the way back around. And nice work. I, I like the way you did that. Nice, thanks. Thanks very much. I, and I knew we, we, in our pre-discussion, I didn't bring that up at all as far as I was just thinking about it. I was like, yeah, it's something people really would want to know about. Because there's a lot of ang anxiety about, you know, I would say, you know, humor or laughter, you know, in the bedroom. And people's like, oh, there's there's no place for that. But I, I, I think that there is, uh, given. Yeah, and. I actually did some, uh, years ago, I did some research uh, with singles, and uh, I asked what, what do you find most attractive about a potential date or a partner, and uh, of men, about a third mentioned a sense of humor or they laugh at my jokes as a, as a, uh, a good quality in a partner, mm -hmm. and women mentioned that two-thirds of the time, 67%. Of the women inventory said that they look for humor, laughter, or a sense of humor in their potential partner. So I think not only is it beneficial, but I think it's attractive, and people are attracted by humor and laughter. That and and that's a real key element in understanding humor. That there's a value to the person being funny, but there's probably even a greater value to the people around them. Mm -hmm. And I found that when I was sick, that my ability to describe my experience, some of which was pretty awful, but to have some humorous element really affected the people who cared about me. I think they were reassured by it. I think right. they saw that I still had energy, that I still had power, and they worried less knowing that I was able to joke about it and that they felt more comforted by the humorous element of the experience without diminishing the difficulty. Right. I, I like how you brought that all the way back to the topic. See, that was, that was great. Thank you. Yeah. It's, that's why you are one of the, the smartest guys I know. You're just able to, you know, stay on point. You got to get out more. I do. Um, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> so with uh, people that are just going through, you know, trials and tribulations, whether it's cancer or anything, what, what are some recommendations that you would give them on adding a little bit more humor to their everyday life? Well, for one, I'd invite them to look at my blog if this is interesting to them. And mm -hmm. it's Dunkel, you know, they just, they have to sign up at caringbridge.org and uh, just put in my name. Um, uh, that, that would, that's an easy way to look at, to see examples. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, I think it's, uh, to get over the inhibition that it's, it's, this isn't funny and, and to 
take the take the alternative position of this is horrible, but it might also be funny. And and to just kind of shift perspective enough that will allow them to access the the humor, irony, or just some of the ridiculousness of the experience. I was once in the hospital and uh, in a lot of pain, a lot of pain. So I got an IV and uh, got some uh, major pain medicine, which mm -hmm. actually worked. It made this internal pain stop. And then as she was removing the IV, the nurse was removing the IV, she ripped off the tape that was holding the IV in place and it hurt like hell. Mm -hmm. And I just started laughing. I said, this incredibly intense internal pain I had went away and it still hurt when you ripped off the Band-Aid. That makes no sense to me. Mm -hmm. And we both laughed about it just for that moment. It was something silly. It was in the moment. It's not a big deal. But especially in hospitals or in places of high intensity, there are funny things that are happening all the time. Right. And I think you just hit on there. It's all in the moments. It all is. All in the moments, you know, got to keep your eye open for them and, and grab a moment when you can, because the next moment might be kind of crappy. So It's true. And, and people who work in those fields appreciate that even more. When I was uh, doing my radiation, uh, I, um, and what it is, they, they create a mask that will hold your head down in place while the, uh, while the, sh the machine uh, shoots you with radiation. And what I did one day was I brought, a clown nose with me and I put it on the mask and the people, uh, the, the technicians that were doing it just loved the whole idea of having this clown nose on this thing that's ordinarily just frightening to look at. Mm -hmm. So very open to things like that. Uh, also, uh, one day I brought a, one of those suntan reflectors with me uh, and, and just <laughs> held on to that while they were setting me up. And they just thought that was the most ridiculous, funny thing they'd ever seen. When, when, uh, when I was doing the radiation, they would play music, and they invited me to bring my own music. And for the last day, I brought the Hallelujah Chorus. <laughs> and they just thought that was the best music ever for a last day of radiation. So just being willing to be thoughtful about stuff that, you will find funny. And it doesn't even have to be funny to anyone else. If it helps you get through a difficult moment, if you, you know, if you can't please everyone, you got to please yourself. There you go. Amen, brother. Thank Preach. You. Thank, you. Thank you, Ricky Nelson. Yes. Um, <laughs> so uh, so I, that, I, I guess that's the message. The message is don't exclude humor when you're going through horrible or difficult situations. I like, don't exclude humor. I think that's the title of your next book. Don't exclude <laughs> humor. That's a great title. Yeah. I like that title, actually. You can send me my 10%. So. Yeah. As soon as you send me 10% for this, that, that'll be fine. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry. So after today, if people want to find you, where, where can they find you? Uh, well, uh, I have a website. It's uh, www.teacheq.com, T-E-A-C-H-E-Q.com. Uh, they can certainly email me at ed, it's ed, at teacheq.com. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm happy to talk with people or be helpful or try to be helpful or supportive and, uh, give information if I can, uh, do that. So, yeah, I invite people to 
take a look at the uh, at the blogs or, or to contact me and let me know what you think. Sounds great. Well, I appreciate you spending a little time with me. For me, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. We, we live pretty close, but I don't get to see it all that often because we're both pretty uh, busy. But here. It uh, was great for you to share your huge brain with me today, and I'm sure everybody listening will get a uh, get as just, just as much from it as I did. I hope so. Thanks for inviting me, and it's been a pleasure talking to you. Same here. And for those of you listening, this has been Laugh Box. I am Chip Lutz, and this has been the, well, the rest will come on. It's our podcast for AATH. Thanks a lot. Bye. Take care. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. LaughBox is made possible by a grant from the National Speakers Foundation and is brought to you by AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Find out more at AATH.org. Be sure to review LaughBox on iTunes. For show notes and more information about today's conversation, visit LaughBox.AATH.org. 